Jupiter or Thor is perfect. We need Atlas for our long-distance stuff. The Titan will be even better. They shouldn't have canceled Navajo. Wait till you see our submarines with Polaris. Attention all personnel, this is CVTS. Base vehicle pre-count operations will start on my mark at 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. real quick it is tuesday the 6th of september it is 91 degrees i have 89 percent left of my watch let me get this microphone closer to me hello it's 2022 if you didn't know this is kathy hello kathy hello and uh maybe you know what my name is brian <clears throat> uh hello and we were just talking about uh i was going to the weed doctor and i was thinking about something else entirely i was thinking about oh yes he <laughs> He was really interested to know if uh, heavy THC use had, um, uh, if I had noticed any signs of schizophrenia. And I was asking him, like, because that's like a thing people write about online. And I was asking him, um, uh, my answer was, time will tell. But in my mind, I was like, what the fuck are you even asking me that for? I, I told him about, like, six other medical conditions right before that that were very, like, you know, private to a doctor, I guess, or whatever, like, privileged information. Then he asks me that as if I'm, like, going to be afraid to tell him. I told him much worse things before that, so I don't know, like, what he was... Anyway, found that weird. I don't know if that's, like, a thing that doctors sort of, like, the touching fentanyl and you die thing, which is also obviously fake, but I think, I don't know if, like... he. Okay, I'll tell this, doctor, since you offended me so much. Doctor, uh, whatever his name is, I, I literally don't even remember, because that's how... If that is your real name. Doctor whatever... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
So this doctor, he um, proceeds to try to earn my trust by telling me his story, which anyone could have made up if they ever watched a movie. And I don't think there's any rule that says doctors have to tell you the truth about their little bio backstory either. Um, okay. So he, this is the story that he tells me, which I'm sure that any, any uh, uh, weed wreck doc has probably ever told someone at least once. He's like, I used to be an ER do doctor, and, and one time uh, a woman came in, and uh, she claimed she had epilepsy. Now, at this point, I was already like, well, doctor, that's one of the things I'm qualified for. So I broke into his conversation at that point. But then he continues mm -hmm. to tell his story. Um, he says... I didn't know it at the time, but she came in and she had what looked like uh, alcohol uh, uh, seizures from like not having alcohol in her system. I can't remember exactly like what the word is because I'm kind of stoned right now as we're doing this, which is fun. Um, but uh, basically, uh, alcohol withdrawal seizures that's what it mm. was which are which are common for people who aren't um as i learned uh common for people who aren't even aware that they're like uh, alcohol dependent and um he i guess he didn't recognize that at the time or whatever eventually six months later completely removed from the situation um this lady has a seizure um and crashes into a car killing like a person or something like that and the family Whoa. ends up suing the er doctor from six months before because he didn't like i don't know take an mri or all these different things uh -huh. you can't do that in an er situation especially if someone's just coming in and it looks like alcohol mm -hmm. withdrawal or whatever but so they mm -hmm. end up suing him and he said that the way that the malpractice law works is that that's not a scenario in which you can you can't sue a doctor from six months ago you saw once t for like something that happens later so uh -huh. he said the case got thrown out however in the process he said, uh, he didn't tell me the small town he came from, although if I would have asked, I guarantee he would have told me, but um, mm -hmm. that would have been my way to find out the truth, I suppose. Maybe I'll do that in seven months, but, um, <laughs> but uh, he said that the damage done in the media, even though everything was eventually retracted and his license was completely fine, um, mm -hmm. was why he had to leave where he was and become a uh, weed rec clinic uh, doctor here in Florida, or at least here where I am instead of where he wow. was. Yeah. And I was like, huh, that's a story I'll have to recount at some point. And here I am. Yeah. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Cause just like today, yesterday, I saw a thing that was saying that New Mexico wants to legalize uh, psilocybin mushrooms because it's a treatment to help with alcohol uh, dependency. Right. But um, can you remind me ex <laughs> exactly? Wait, really? Yeah. Well, I, I grew my own and, and used them and it didn't really help me at the time. It helped me uh, reconnect to some memories that I had. I don't know. I guess it ultimately it did help me, I would say. Ultimately, it did. And mm -hmm. it was legal in New Mexico. Um, mm -hmm. But So how are they going to... Are they sales? Is it finally sales? Because I know that uh, mushrooms, if, in case anyone else outside New Mexico doesn't know, the only state in which mushrooms are illegal to possess or use or whatever is New Mexico, except for the fact mm -hmm. that no one can transfer them to other people for, mm -hmm. for anything of any value. So money. Can't sell them. Um, fascinating. <clears throat> I was able to um, consume a bunch. They were great. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think, like, I think the reason that there's, like, a quote-unquote uh, like call for it is because UNM and New York University just released, like, a joint report on it. Mm. Um, so someone from, because uh, I'm at the KUNM radio uh, website, and it says, um, 
chief of addiction psychiatry at UNM's Health Sciences Center told the Albuquerque Journal that the result of the studies saw a reduction in the frequency of drinking and the number of drinks consumed mm -hmm. with an average from seven to about one. Uh, psychotherapy, it was not just uh, the hallucinogenic, like the administration of the hallucinogenic drug, but also with like psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. I would imagine some kind of a talk therapy. Yeah. Um, wow. And that, um, you know, there was a placebo group, but that everyone who was on mushrooms did significantly better. A I... pronounced reduction is their exact quote. Okay. And I love all this. What do you think is the future of distribution for this in the medical world? Like, it, it, do you think that um, uh, uh, this, when distributed to the rest of the country, or if when it happens, it would be like only in a clinical setting where you're going to have talk therapy combined with it? Or is it going to be um, like... I, I feel like I would like to see it, you know, like maybe a better version of every mistake we've ever lear learned from like a methadone clinic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like um, with this kind of stuff, like I think folks need compassionate care. And I think like simply giving folks a bunch of drugs and saying, now get the fuck out of here, good luck on your own. Like it just isn't really the solution. And yeah. I feel like that's more or less what folks have done, right? Cause like yeah. they're, they're, they're usually not given the amount of like time and attention that they actually need in order for them to make like progress with this stuff, right? It's, it's kind of like piecemeal half-assed and then, then we, we have like these low success rates and we wonder why, right? Like, um, and then we go, oh, none of this must be working. It must be a problem with psychotherapy, which of course that's really not it, right? It's just, yeah. we're not giving enough of the proper medicine, I think, right? Cause it's too expensive and yeah. we're quote unquote, wasting it on people that society doesn't care about, right? Which of course is, that's the like narrative. It's not the real narrative. Um, but all of those things kind of come into it, right? Like um, the the kind of uh, the puritanical, like fucking psychological shit that we as Americans are trying to work our way through, right? That like these folks are somehow failures or uh, evil. <laughs> There's some kind of moral failing, right? Like is is I think coloring the way that we um, approach these treatments and ultimately these people. You know, and I, I'm just, I, as you can tell, like, I'm very, like, kind of always upset about something. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Because I just think we can just do everything better. Kathy, you know, like, have we you can just do everything better. This. We will work together, Kathy, because I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm the same way. I'm always generally upset That's about something. It has usually nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but uh, it, sometimes it does. That makes for a good podcast. Mm -hmm. Um,. <sighs> I think that, uh, but like I, I but I also is, think like, yeah, yeah our, I think our community has a better idea of how to distribute that shit. I mean, I feel like we've been doing it, right? Yeah, I mean that's totally true. I, I wish that there was a way that I wish that there was a good way to share the uh, useful tools that people in our world have with other people who would never have the chance to even become a member of any kind of community that would, you know, it's like, uh, it's like giving mushrooms to your dad. Your dad would never have, this is just a, an example of my, I would never do this to my own father. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I would definitely have fucking dosed my dad. I think he could have really fucking benefited from fine. chilling the fuck out. 
One day, Kathy, no, when we're in close honestly, proximity. I think I would have given my dad a lot of MDMA. My, my father, I'm sure, one day may listen to this. And if he does, he'll know oh, why no, I'm not. Oh, no, we froze. Oh, no. I can see you, though, and I can hear you. I can see like a... Oh, hold on. I can hear your voice. Can you hear me? Hold on. Let me stop me. Am I back? Do you see my stack of papers? Hmm. Hello, everyone at home. Uh, it's only 10 minutes into the podcast. I promise uh, that uh, things will be back here in a second. And here we go. Hey, there we go. Everything's good now. Yeah, like froze or whatever. Yeah, I could uh, hear you for a second. I heard you say it froze and then everything went away. Um, hmm. Everyone at home got to listen to my dishwasher there for a couple of minutes. Oh, hold on. Let me turn the camera around, too. There. No worries. Okay. No worries. <laughs> oh, no. Gross. <laughs> I was um, talking about the Coca-Cola I left in my freezer. Ooh. Okay. I did have a Coca-Cola earlier today. An ice-cold Coca-Cola. Not a that. thing I do very often, actually. I love that. That's almost uh, on theme for me. Right now, I am enjoying an ice-cold uh, Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. And uh, it is really, really the thing. Did you know that when they originally sold Coke, I love this. This is If you go back and look at the pictures, mm -hmm. too, it's kind of fun. When they originally sold Coke, they actually sold it as a syrup you're supposed to mix with soda water, kind of like at home or probably in, you know, like a restaurant or bar. But I just mm -hmm. think that's really cool that it was sold as syrup originally. Started as syrup. I like that, too. Like yeah. like Coke concentrate. Yeah. Maybe you could make a Coke AKA. as strong as you want. Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coke's cola. <laughs> Mr. Coke. That was that was him. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Coke. Right there next to Dr. Pepper. Actual yeah. people. Is there a Mrs. Dr. Pepper? <laughs> I guarantee. <laughs> you know what this podcast wow, is? Wow, very, very gendered of me to assume that Dr. Pepper is not a woman herself uh, or or perhaps fits into the non-binary you know like uh yeah. you know like so hmm could be a sense i wonder what doc beverage i wonder what dr pepper yeah like <laughs> i wonder what dr pepper would say about about this how would dr pepper self-identify uh dr pepper would self-identify as has there ever been a dr pepper mascot yes yes the dr pepper mascot let me think for a second was a man Okay, this isn't the only Dr. Pepper mascot, but this is one of them. I know this right out of the top of my head. You can see my hands are here. Mm -hmm, it, there's a mm -hmm. man in sort of like a, he looks like he's a milkman, and he has a little cap off, and he's going like, ha! And that's like huh. that little face. Wow, like and yes, I, I want to just in fact verify that none of us were visiting the ad mascot wiki. <laughs> yes! Now we have to look for this. We have to find the Dr. Pepper uh, satisfied Adam milkman Yeah, the face. entry. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I am stunned. I am. I guess I never really thought about it. Um, should we be writing? Well, no. I'll, I'll... 
Should we be writing them a letter? Said dear Dr. Pepper. Social media. <laughs> From the can we create I think we should create a reality issues uh Twitter page probably. So we can inter I, interact so... with other brands. I think that would be funny. We could bother like Dr. Pepper. Because I have them all blocked pretty much. So See, I do too. I have so I have been blocking ads pretty much since the moment I ever got one. Yeah, let's see. Let's see what um, I'm up to. I want to see. Oh yeah, no, that's a good question. I love thousands, I know, because sometimes Brant will show his count. It's always thousands above mine. Let me see. Um, That's in settings, privacy. Yeah, settings privacy. Uh, um, just God, oh my God. Blocked. Mute and block. Blocked accounts. <laughs> yep. Okay. I'm going to let you see this, Kathy. Uh, I'm, I'm look, about at that, to look. look at that four-digit number there. Blocked accounts. Yeah. So I'm on, I'm on my desktop. So right now I can't see it. 82. It just, it, 182 accounts I have blocked. Uh, I've never brands. imported any. I've only just done it manually. But I mean, let me see. It's great. Let me check on my app, my my phone app. It's uh, let me just scroll through. I'm gonna see. We have uh, a crypto person. We have uh, a. <laughs> I'm sorry to. Oh, does this start at the top? Oh, it starts at the top, which means these are all people I blocked like a million zillion years ago. Like, uh, so it's the like first one. Oh, it's kind of mixed together because there's something about crypto in uh, here too, and I wouldn't have known what crypto was mm. when I started Twitter. Yeah, because okay. this is one that says bots of 2022. Okay. Is, okay, privacy and safety, mutant block, blocked accounts. See, my, I don't know if I just have a different one. Mine does not have a number. Hmm, Okay. Muted accounts. That doesn't have a number. Yeah, I um, here's a. <laughs> I saw this one here on this list. I don't even know when this movie is from, but it's the movie called from A24, which is probably why I blocked it. Um, it's called Men. Just Men. And I saw. I must have seen that. It was one of those like when a trailer comes up. That's the quickest I'm gonna block something. Like I, I don't care. I'm gonna find out about it anyway, and I don't want it to pop up 55 times. But there we are. Meh. Let me just, uh, let me see. Let's see. What's in my likes? I'm just going to go look at my Twitter real quick. I've never done that before. You've never done what? Looked at your likes or uh, like looked uh, at your blocks? Looked at my likes back and let's, let's see. Let's see. Oh, here. Uh, someone, uh, someone in my timeline, uh, they, they work at a hops, live and work at a hops farm. And they were just showing pictures of the hops machine, like sorting all the hops. That was pretty cool. That's what I'm up to on Twitter. Here's a picture of two cats. Um, here's a picture of uh, the Tactical Computer Terminal, ANUIQ-30, which looks like it was a computer system used for the U.S. Army in, like, the 50s <laughs> and for the field. It's kind of cool. Um, here's a man in a really cool jacket. Those are my likes. That's what I got. <laughs> really Here, cool jacket. Kathy, check out this jacket. It's like a country okay. It's like a country western jacket, but it has, like, a, oh, a I UFO. Oh, I saw this. Like, yeah, it's so cool. Yes. I, I would wear that. Uh there was some speculation under that thread about where it might come from. Oh. And uh, I'll bet dollars to donuts that it's somewhere in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, just like, just, how, how could it not? I feel like I La mean, but, Las Vegas, maybe? I mean, you know, it could be anything, really. But, I mean, here I am in Las Vegas, actually. You can see my virtual Zoom background is actually <laughs> Las Vegas, New Mexico. That's awesome. 
I'm pointing. I can't do it. There my, it is. My visual field, I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are really good at this. I'm terrible at it. Like, <laughs> but, 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 but anyway. <laughs> Kathy, I'm, I'm very excited because we just printed out our uh, save the dates for our our, oh, our nuptials. Oh, I love so, this. You know, stay tuned, as it were. We're mm -hmm. we're like we just got them printed, so we're very DIY. So we're cutting them up ourselves and things of that sort. So uh, it's gonna be very badass, I think. I think. I'm excited. IMO. Kathy, let me tell you a little story about me on the internet. This is something I wrote down last night that I was thinking about a little bit. Okay. Um, some of my very origins on the internet. Before I was a poster, mm -hmm. this is this is Brian at 11 or 12 years old. Okay. It was, uh, let's see, 1997, 98. I'm going to say somewhere in there it had to be. I was 11 or 12 online. I was figuring out emulators and ROMs. I was figuring out how to play video games for free. Mm-hmm. I figured out that it was really easy and that video games from, you know, the Nintendo era and the Super Nintendo era were only like, you know, kilobytes. You could download them in a second even on a dial-up connection. It was no big deal yeah. at all. And I was like, wow, this is like a whole world. I can play any game I want. And so basically for those bunch of years there, I did that forever. And I just downloaded every free game that I could and figured it out, you know, eventually that like you could get hardware for these things and you could load the files from your computer onto the hardware and then play on the actual console on your tv and that was like mm -hmm. totally crazy especially at the time when you couldn't mm -hmm. emulate any of the current technology on computers so when the nintendo 64 came out it was technologically impossible to emulate and play the 64 games on your computer at least for a few years um mm -hmm. until mm -hmm. uh, advanced graphics chips came out so <clears throat> at the time I figured out how to do this on my own. I bought a, a Z64, which was a machine. You slipped on top of the Nintendo 64. You stick the, stuck a zip disk into, like a 100 megabyte zip disk. And you would, wow. the, you would put the cartridge in top that you rented from Blockbuster. And then you would go through a little, little like LCD screen on the, like, you know, with totally like, it was very like 1990s mm -hmm. level technology. You're pressing backup. And it's loading the, you know, 16 megabytes from the 64 cartridge onto a zip disk, which you can stick like four or five games on, which is blowing your mind. Now, I assume that most people who were doing this were probably in their 20s or something like that, teens, whatever, people trying to buy and sell games illegally. Now, I was going, to, I was figuring this all out by using my brain and going on the internet at 11 or 12 and doing this in the 90s. And I think to... Um, more even the community that I got involved with at that age, which was trying to uh, like communicate and transfer all that stuff. And mm -hmm. I remember, I remember a man, uh, this is on the website, which obviously no longer exists anymore, but maybe exists on the internet archive is N64 ROMs hyphen DL.com was the website. And uh, he, he was a man, his, his handle was ABC man, ABC was all caps, M-A-N. And you can go find on the Usenet um, archives, you can f find, search some of his posts and stuff. And I never posted in there. We, we were talking over um, I, I, IRC maybe or something like that. But like seriously, it was, it, was, it, was, uh, it was quite a blast to have communications with that and, and, and run a little website. And this fucking dude, I swear to God, had no idea he was dealing with the 12-year-old. There's no fucking way. No way. No way. And I always loved that. And uh, until, until I think everyone on the internet though is like three twelve-year-olds in a trench coat. I mean, aren't I? <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's what I am. That's what Kathy's know? been like... saying the whole time. 
just... for doing a very good impersonation. One does the voice. Uh, one yeah. one is the operating the hands, and uh, yeah. the other one is tweeting everything. That's that's it. Yeah. yeah, we need a whole team. I mean, twelve year olds. I mean, even though they're precocious, I mean, it's still a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, first of all, how are they funding all this? You know. Uh, so if you ever downloaded the next N sixty four ROM in uh, in uh, the nineties, you may have downloaded something that I rented from Blockbuster. Is what I'm saying to you. And I was, that's pretty cool. Isn't that that's cool? That's pretty cool. And that, that I, is really cool. That would repeat again in the 2000s, but I won't talk about that because I was over the age of 18. See, so that's funny because I, de- so like I definitely at some point when I had my, uh, my, my PSP, my portable PlayStation. The best that, emulation that little, device of all time. Dude, yes, that was exactly what I was about to say. It was the best emulator thing I'd ever used. I, I had a, I had a, Game Boy and I had a DS. Like I had, to, like you know those. Uh, that my DS had one of those like five hundred and one Game Boy cartridge thingies. You know. Yeah. I had like a bunch of those. Those were badass. You know, you'd for, go yeah, to like the, the Anime Expo or whatever. Yeah. Yep. You'd, um, mm-hmm. You know. So that yeah. shit was cool. I liked all that shit. Um, awesome. But the PSP was just perfect. It was just I had yeah. everything on it. I would put um, movies and, and I was like, I'm not fucking buying games. What the fuck is this stupid yeah. shit? I'm like, I'm just going to go ahead and play Arkanoid for yeah. 400 hours yeah. is what I'm going to shoot. Exactly. Oh, well, wow, Kathy. There's, see, that, there's, was my, that was me. That was me. I, I, I understand that that was me. I played, um, do you know how many times I played on the it emulated PlayStation games, which was crazy. So I could play, uh, what was that one that made me crazy? And there's this one in Hoarders uh, this, where this kid's obsessed with the same game. And I, I love it. Uh, what is it? Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. No, I'm just ta- kidding. Uh, no, no, no. Ta- Tails? Nope. Nope. It's, um, God, it's the one with, uh, hold on. I'll think of it. Okay. Star Ocean 2. Second story. That's it. Oh, okay. my God. Man. Anyway, I played that at least three or four times, the PlayStation version on there. Uh, it was so... Love that. And uh, uh, Link to the Past. I probably played five, six, seven times on there, over and over. I would just play that. It was like my Link to the Past system, basically. I love that. Um, yeah. What, what joy. Do, do yeah. You, like, and I, I remember it was, yeah, it was precisely because I could, um, like, download the emulate, like, the emulation files or whatever, that I could go, oh, my God, I haven't played this game in a thousand years, right? Yeah, like, yeah. what what joy that was. Yeah. And then, like, looking back on it with, like, new eyes, yeah, you know? like I, I love to do that now. I mean, I, I, I'll have to – I know there's some, some kind of, like, little hardware boxes you can get out there where you, it's easy to just, like, load them up with stuff. Like, they don't give you anything, you know, against the rules, as it were. But, like, they give you everything else, <laughs> you know? Uh, and they're not that expensive, too. Like, maybe, like, 60 bucks or something. A little, like, Raspberry Pis. Mm-hmm, it up mm-hmm. I wish I still had the patience for all that. Maybe one one day again. But uh, like, I, I feel like I just don't anymore. I, I used to. What if I? I don't what know if what I, changed. What if I made one for myself and just like dumped all the data on it and sent it to you in the mail? Of course, with nothing illegal on it. <laughs> no, see, I mean, I feel like uh, th- I feel like there's got to be a better way, right? Mm-hmm. There has to be like a Plex server that's basically the same thing, right? Oh. Like. Maybe I'll look into it. Maybe, I mean, maybe there but is I don't know. Like but I don't know, right? Like, yeah. I, like again, like I, I, I want like the easiest thing possible. I get you. You know. I'm gonna think on this. Uh, 
I mean, but it's just not possible to do that anymore with the with, with the way the world is and technology. It's not just easy to just get the easiest thing possible. Somebody asked me the other day, how do I make this PDF and that PDF? How do I take two PDFs and make one PDF about it? And I was like, well, do you have like the subscription version yep. of Adobe or do you have the like normal poor person version of Adobe? And they're like, no, I have the normal person because I only ever need to do this once every four years. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's how they get you. I'm like, so. Uh, I, I was looking at my my uh, my bank line on there the other day for the Adobe Creative Cloud, 60 whatever dollars a month or whatever I'm paying for. It's fucking insane. You know what I told By them, the way, I, I don't like, edit this podcast on edition, on edition. I don't even. How about this? I haven't used. Adobe products since the third episode of this podcast when I was using Adobe Edition and it destroyed the like second copy of whatever episode that we re-recorded but then I luckily still had it like on the card but like I had worked on it a bunch I had deleted some silences mm -hmm. and at that very moment also I will say Adobe is mm -hmm. the reason that uh, I don't edit the podcast yeah good fuck them so there you go even though I'm subscribed to them I should probably cut it off uh, final let's see what do I use Logic I use Logic Pro mm. Never leave the Apple platform now. Um, okay. So, yes, I was going to say this. Um, you said you brought up something while you were saying that, uh, that the easiest, yeah. easiest version of something is, like, hard to get to. I think what they've done, the they being everyone who sells a piece of software, has made mm -hmm. the easiest version of something the one that you have to pay for, which yeah. means that they design their software until it's the easiest version of a workflow and just, uh -huh. just to that point, and then they stop, <laughs> and then they charge mm -hmm. you money for it. And that's, yeah. that's and then uh, you know every ten years a free piece of software creeps up and then they're like oh no now we have all those features too and now you still mm -hmm. have to pay us twice as much. Um, logic being the case for that, I can't believe that like um, there was like Logic Ten or whatever was the one like three years ago and now there's like already Logic Pro which is the same piece of software. <laughs> it looks the same, uh, but it costs two hundred dollars. I, I remember how easy how easy it all used to be. Like and I, I get that like our 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 products are like getting larger as far as data you know whatever that means, mm -hmm. but I feel like I don't know I say that because maybe I just literally cut and pasted my way into my like wedding invitations mm -hmm. you know and like I was thinking about this because I was like oh like usually when people get these it's like something that's like it, it looks very professionally printed and that's because it is because anybody can order this shit on vista print now you know and whatever and i was like but we're like we're like literally just like cutting up magazines and things like that to you know it looks like a ransom note but really like cool. a very very classy ransom note is what it looks like. i like that it looks like an old-timey postcard is maybe how i should cool. put it but like the it's the again see this background it this was like the this vintage photo of Las Vegas, New Mexico is like our, our inspiration for our invitation. So all that is a way of saying, like, all I wanted to do was print out a bunch of like postcard size things. And I was, I went to like the printer, our local office depot, whatever. And I was like, I literally just want these printed front and back. And they're like, mm, well, these files are kind of hard to work with. I'm like, will JPEGs help? And they're like, maybe. And I'm like, why is, this shouldn't be that hard, right? Like, and yet for some reason we were there for an hour. So, have you tried to? Uh, have you ever used the services of local Santa Fe company Paper Tiger? I have actually. We actually have a. I have like a like a real printer person. Okay. But like we were trying to go for like, 
you know, like just really just, we're literally just trying to print something I front see. to back, yeah, you I know, see. like, you know, nothing too. Nothing fancy there. Not, not even a nice, nice paper, okay. you know, um, at this particular moment. And uh, anyway, it was just, uh, everything was, I felt like harder than it should have been is kind of how it yeah. felt like to me. Yeah. Um, and then like the chip readers aren't working and nobody carries cash anymore. Like, I feel like just somehow every day, like there's some new, like, like the machines are going on strike and like, they're starting to like really <coughs> resent us for doing all the things we're making them do. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and when this is over, watch, uh, all watched over by machines of love and grace again and wonder how the machines are already sentient and they're, they've been torturing us since 1997. That's what I think. Uh, I think they have. Mm -hmm. I think we deserve it, too. If the machines were sentient... Well, I'm playing like a, uh, an RPG right now that kind of is the basis of that as well. It's kind of great. Um, uh, from Japan. Uh, the Let's say this. We're, we're AI... I have another thing I'm going to get on here in a second. already written down, but let me ask you this. We're AI to be sentient, uh, not in, in a way that... Let's say this. We're the internet machine world to gain any kind of level of sentience, i.e. Uh, decision-making somewhere where we weren't able to see it at any kind of scale. Um, would it ever be reveal itself to us? No, it wouldn't. How would we, how, if, if it were to exist, how would we be able to figure it out? Why wouldn't it try to evade detection at all costs, knowing that we would eliminate it? Now, this isn't anything that's happening in our world today, but were that to happen in 75 years? No, the ghost in the machine, right? Yeah. Like, uh, how how do we know it's there? Um, and or also, how do how, how do we um, how do we make sure we don't trick ourselves into seeing it when it's not? Right? Like, I feel like that's that's even kind of you know our, our desire to insert pattern into everything means that we have a lot of false positives, uh, no yes. matter what we're looking at, right? Like, um, yes. because we're we're it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If I if I want to prove to myself that like there are a lot of red sports cars on the road right now, it's I, I have that selective notice. Oh, like, yeah, there are. They've always been there. I just wasn't paying attention, right? It was like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um but also like, I don't know, like it's also not false to say there are a lot of big giant trucks on the road right now. Like that is a, a shift, right? Um so I don't know. I, like I, I think like that's the uh, the discernment. How do I know that uh, the machine is really out to get me? And how do I know that it truly wasn't just my error? Oops. And how much like, of it is us just personifying an issue that we have onto the machine world, as it were? Is this thing that we've invented, which is literally just? I mean, that's the thing about cyberspace. Much like how the internet isn't real, uh, it yet it is. Um, you know, there's no such thing as cyberbullying. It's just bullying. Kathy's um, thinking of something. I'm else. very excited. I'm, yes, I'm and that is off. because, uh, yeah, I have to grab it, and it's a little out of reach, so I will be right back. Yes. Meanwhile, I will mention this book that Kathy told me about. So I'm going to start reading here soon. Um. Well, I'll let I'll let Kathy say this first. This is because this would take us off course. Okay. So. I think, uh, you know, on our last episode, I was really overstimulated from experiencing all of the things of Minneapolis, the mm -hmm. fair. I went to, um, I went to like these, uh, 
the afternoon that you and I spoke, I believe uh, later that day, I went to um, a lake tour. I went to the uh, the house that the replacements met. Yeah. And I went to a, a, the bar that Roseanne Arnold and Tom Arnold met. Wow. And fell in love. That's the CC bar. Um, I, I went to Grumpy's. I purchased Minnesota weed. I mean, and this is everything aside from, yeah. of course, like the work that I was actually there mm -hmm. to do. But I don't think that you and I spent much time talking about my airport experience. Um, no, uh, we didn't talk about that at all, really, I think. Uh, tell me everything. <laughs> okay, so first of all, I would just like to express um, that I, I, I am more certain than ever that the best airport anywhere is the Albuquerque Sunport. Yes. I flew out of Albuquerque. 100%. I've flown out of Santa Fe, Dallas, Fort Worth, all of these other ones. Awful. Easy but... to understand where everything is. There's a Panda <sighs> Express because that's the kind of food you want to eat when you're There's in an airport. I know room. I'm depressed. I'm depressed when I'm in an airport and the food I want to eat is the greasiest, sweetest, full of everything garbage that you can get. And that's what I want. Panda Express. So there's like a there's always like like a really nice art exhibit about cars or planes or uh balloons uh just just all kinds of beautiful things at the yeah sunport. it's so beautiful first i would it's just like to it's say beautiful it's awesome. in there it is decorated like the inside of an adobe style building which is kind of cool because when was the last time you saw the inside of an airport decorated like anything mm -hmm. <laughs> other than like Air building and, <laughs> and so like the the uh, on our way to minneapolis we we had some challenges with our connectors and it resulted in a six hour layover at the Denver airport. Um, which as far as airports to have to hang out in, I mean, you're, you may as well be at the mall, you mm -hmm. know? So, uh, so I made the best of it. I was like, well, I didn't really, you know, plan for being here this long. I had brought a book with me, but by itself, I was like, but I had planned to read it on the plane. You know, I was like, I'm not gonna have access to internet really when I'm on the plane. What better thing than a book, right? All the things, right? So I'd, I'd really thought this through and now I'm here in the middle of the airport and I don't really wanna be online at that moment. Um, so I went shopping, got like a spirograph, got things to like entertain myself and like work out my nervous energy. Cause what I really wanna do is like go looting, you know? <laughs> What 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 you but and like I causing international incidents? What you, like I want to like go fuck with like airport employees, but like I really what, can't do that. What you, you and know? I want is the uh, non-zombie version of George Romero's Dawn of the Dead to happen in an airport. <laughs> That's what you and I want. The 1984. Version. I just yeah, I just yeah, like just everyone's just grabbing. Fucking All of a sudden, for some reason, everyone grabs the closest thing and starts using it as a weapon. That's that's <laughs> what we want. For and then all bets are off, and, and no one they can't not if everyone does it at the same time, no one can get in trouble. Let's see, that's, that's the right. Thing. Like orgies on the fucking baggage <laughs> carousel, like you know you've always wanted this, right? Like, and then uh, say fifteen minutes later, everyone's, everyone's just kind of like and cool gross. and normal again, and yeah, right. Back to drinking their seltzer. Yeah, they're twelve dollar pints, you know, like whatever. <laughs> Fine, it's yeah. fine. We're gonna make it, and so it wasn't so bad, you know. But it, but it was really interesting, and um, and I, and I'm always reminded, of course, like how odd airports are, because no matter what, right? If it's like the international airport in 
in Denver, for example, like, you know, LAX is right next to Frankfurt. Like those two gates are right next to each other for some fucking reason. Like, or they're not that far apart is what I'm saying. It's like, so you just walk through the airport and you're kind of confronted with a mix of people, but the location itself is kind of tied to where you're at, right? So like the Denver airport is holding all of this like mishmash of people and we're all in the bookstore going, what is the least awful thing I can find in here? Like maybe this magazine, I guess, do I choose between The Economist or Vogue? You know, it's like essentially your your choices, right? I would grab a USA Today. That's why. Yeah. See, and I, 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 I grabbed a Spirograph and a, a mold and, and and one of those pens that has like twelve colors in it. Like you're a little kid. I, and I, I, I was delighted. I was. Let me tell you, I was clearly the smartest shopper there. There we go. Look at this. This is this is. These are my desk items. This is what I keep with me: multicolored pens and highlighters. This is oh. my whole deal. Oh, I mean, I, hold on, actually, so it's funny because we've been doing our DIYing, mm-hmm. so I actually have quite a few of my, uh, see, so this is, uh, here's the, here's yeah, the little this. kid pen, yes. right? Yes. That has one big giant one, right? It's I got love these it. very satisfying clicks. Hell yeah. Um, this is my various <laughs> yeah. selections of markers. You can see a variety of Stabler yeah. Mars ink pens and Tombow brush pens and, oh, you know, because cool. I'm a nerd about that shit too, right? Yeah, got to DIY till we die, you know? Oh, um, and here, most importantly, the travel spirograph. Yeah, there we go. See, it's very, oh, it's wow. very thin. It fits in like your notebook, right? Uh-huh. Okay, so I get to this conference where everyone is like, we're all expected to like really focus and work. And here's me, I'm like in the middle, like there's like a whole conversation about like, you know, budgets and shit and line items or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, hold on. And I'm like. <laughs> Anyone wants to see any of the beautiful spirographs? the correlation between spirographs and gang activity Please. to anyone that will listen. Please only look at the previous uh, episode's artwork for an example of one of Kathy's beautiful spirograph arts. Oh, yeah, no, that's correct. So I did a lot. Um, But I was reminded of something because, of course, as I mentioned, I was reading in the airport and I um, I'm very grateful to kind of have started reading more often. And I credit Mm -hmm. actually this podcast for giving me more focus on getting through a book. Thank you. I also credit this podcast for helping me get through a book. Thank you, podcast. See, that's why it needs its own account so we can like add it and be like, thank you, podcast. This is this is this is less podcast, more therapy. It's our (laughs) accountability mechanism. And again, I've mentioned this before. Like, yeah, some people would rather start a podcast to go to therapy. It's because it's cheaper and does less harm to us. That's why. And I know that people will laugh at us. I have to. Yeah, they because they're they're sitting there going, yeah, I've been fucking paying for my shitty therapist. You're telling me I should just grab a couple of my friends and get together and start talking about stupid shit? Yes, that is exactly what we are telling you. As, you can do it too. As it turns out, we'd love to listen. That, yeah, we'd that love is to listen a, to oh whatever stupid shit God. you got to say. See, that's the bet to me. That's the future of podcasting is the democratization of podcasting. So all these people who used to think that they were an audience, they themselves actually have their own voices as a group. And that's the beauty of it. All the world's a stage. Mm-hmm. And we are merely players. Much like Rush quoted 
Shakespeare. Thank you. Um, okay, so this book. <laughs> yes. I'm going to have to turn off my, my, my fake background, because as always, um, that fucks with the showing of the book. Okay, mm -hmm. so it is a book that I've seen a lot of archaeologists and historians talk about. It is called Origin, A Genetic History of the Americas by Jennifer Raff, and it came out this year. And I bought it, I don't know, like, or I say this year, it came out in 2021, and I bought, uh, in, at the very beginning of 2022 is when I bought it. And um, I've had it this long and just simply have not had a chance to read it. Um, but she herself is a geneticist, and she has worked with, like, genome projects the world over, trying to work on figuring out how the map of the North American genome can give us an idea of how the North American continent was first inhabited. Wow, okay. Um, and there are some surprising uh, revelations in this book, not the least of which that the Mayan uh, group of Mesoamerican individuals actually take their roots from a much earlier group that first lived in Montana, which to me is mind-blowing. Yeah, because now I get to tell people that I'm from Montana, which is dope, actually. I can't wait to start being like, yeah, I'm from Montana. Is that what I should like say, Like, when Kathy? people are like, when they're like, where are you from? I'm going to be like, well, I'm from L.A. And they're going to be like, no, where are you really from? I'm going to be like, well, you know, Montana, actually. <laughs> My people went from Montana down to Mexico, and then we came back. I don't know how it worked, so... I guess going back to where I came from means going back to Montana, which is like shocking and crazy making to me. Because do you want to be a Montana podcast? Do you want to be a Montana podcast, Kathy? I mean, now I want to go. I need to visit the homeland. Let's visit. Right? Like this, it's bananas for me to think of it. Anyway, so this book has been. We can been, have the podcast um, ranch. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but they have one on that I wanted to read because I want to find it as the assumption of um, gender ah. and gender. Okay. And I want to find it because it was really, really good. It was this little, little chunk. I, I cannot emphasize how, how good this book is um, and how uh, quickly I have um, started getting through it. So I'm going to read this little excerpt mm -hmm. uh, because it made me realize that, uh, of course, I say realize. It really made me start thinking about um, not only our own um, biases around what gender roles and gender norms are, but how we impose this, like we anthropomorphize and therefore genderize all of these things around us, right? Like uh, the assumption that spider were male because they were larger let's mm. say right because they're like of course that's how it is across the animal kingdom of course it's not right we know that now but the way that these kinds of um, embedded narratives of how nature works or history works yeah. or societies have worked like clearly just all of it is is, you... is because we fucking had to say it was right like yeah. the first archaeologists were like well, nothing's older than Noah's Ark, so how could it be 10,000 years old, yeah. right? 
Can I, can I ask you something about this too? Do you think that this this uh, kind of what you're saying applies to language as well? Because our our language, my primary language, English, doesn't have uh, you know masculine or feminine words, but other languages, Spanish, French, others do. Um, do you think that like how a noun or a, a something is is given that is like? I mean, because I, I I don't I can't speak to any I can't I can barely even remember the words in French that were masculine or feminine like <laughs> yogurt I know is think feminine, but like yeah sure I mean I, I think like so I feel like I I'm I I consider less the gender of an inanimate object, right? Um, when I think about it, but that's also because I'm divorced from the cultural origin of that word, right? Like sword right yeah probably has a more masculine meaning to yeah. it because it looks and acts like a dick i yep. guess and because we assume that sword wielders must have been manly burly testosterone filled hairy creatures right like yeah. that that must be it um and wow. then same thing with like weaving right we assume that it's women's work because it's delicate and fine and um uh, attention to detail like there's no way a brutish man could make something so fine right like yeah there's these are these misconceptions and in fact you know like um so maybe there was a meaning for that once upon a time back in the day but of course like those things don't mean anything now right like yeah. by themselves i don't think um maybe culture back then required it anyway so Sorry. to that point yes. no no i mean i i think this is exactly why i want to because it's a good question okay. not again not that i have an answer to yeah, it certainly yeah. Yeah. um but i know that in spanish for example as someone who does work in like has translated and does work as interpretation i'm more interested in like nouns that refer to people and how we gender those. Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, yeah. for example, if I say mechanic, right, in, like, a car mechanic, in English, that's gender neutral. But in Spanish, you use mecánico. The assumption is that it's a man doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. that's, uh, do I always say mecánique? Do I say mecánicex? I myself don't use the X. I think when I'm speaking, it, it's a little clumsy to work over. I feel like in spoken spanish the eh mecanique is like kind of easier to kind of keep the yeah. flow of the language going again how language evolves is a uh, is critical yeah i I'm also i think that. i've mentioned this before i've seen the use of the gender neutral e x and at sign i think my entire life it is not new to me um Interesting. so this idea that it's like trendy or you know created by north americans i i first saw it in mexico so i don't know where that conception is probably among white people who don't know any fucking better right hey, um i was I'm, so, I'm one of those so hey we're all learning though yeah, we're all learning well not all of us are most of us are i'm trying not to be the white person who uh pretends to know everything I'm trying to that's it that's all it is we have to just humble ourselves remember that there are so many things in this wide wide world yeah <laughs> more more on heaven and earth ratio um okay gender and hunter gatherer societies yes i love this 
Historically, archaeologists have frequently used ethnographic analogy, or the study of present-day cultures to understand the past, to interpret the archaeological record of the Americas. This approach led to the prevailing assumption that at most sites, the hunting was done by men and the gathering was done by women. But over the past several decades, there has been a growing body of archaeological scholarship pointing out that this and other assumptions partially reflect contemporary Western interpretations of gendered activities and to some extent, the people who have been doing the interpretations. Understanding gender in past societies is complex. Among contemporary hunter-gatherer societies, the majority of hunting is performed by males. But assuming that this was also true of ancient groups is complicated by the fact that burials of women, as well as men, contain hunting implements in them, such as projectile points. For example, in 2013, the 9,000-year-old burial of a 17 to 19 year old woman whose sex was identified via both morphological and more molecular evidence was discovered at the archaeological site of Willamaya Patiaxca Patiaxa, my apologies, in Peru. Buried with her was a complete toolkit for hunting and processing big game, including projectile points, a knife and flakes for field dressing and scrapers and choppers for processing hides and extracting bone marrow. Another individual buried nearby, identified as biologically male, had similar projectile points, though not the full toolkit, buried with him. If we can interpret the artifacts buried with these individuals as indicative of their activities during life, then we might reasonably conclude that both individuals were big game hunters, regardless of their biological sex. Notice that I'm careful to use the phrase biological sex here. Sex and gender are different things, although they are often confused by people who use the words interchangeably. In my field, biological anthropology, many scholars define sex in terms of physical differences, reproductive anatomy, secondary sexual characteristics, chromosomes. While a discussion of this topic is outside the scope of this book, it's important to note that there are no neat divisions between physically or genetically male and female individuals. Some people have reproductive anatomies that do not fall within this dichotomy, and there are a wide variety of chromosomal combinations and associated physical attributes beyond XY equals male and XX equals female. Biology is much more complicated than that. Gender in anthropology refers to both a person's internal identity and the socially constructed roles that people practice. Gender and sex may be aligned or they may not. Many societies in the past and present recognize multiple genders beyond men and women and multiple ways in which gender is defined. We can't confidently assume that we know what a person's gender was simply because we can determine their biological sex from their DNA or the shape of their pelvis. We don't know whether the first Willamaya Patia individual was considered a woman by herself and by others. Although she was biologically female, according to her skeletal features and DNA, that may not have been her gender identity. Contemporary and historical indigenous groups of the Americas, as in other societies around the world, have diverse conceptions of gender that don't necessarily align with the male-female duality imposed by Christian colonizers. The same caveat applies to the second individual at the site. 
How do we know that he was considered to be a man by others or by himself? A second complication lies in how to identify a person's role or status in life. Often, archaeologists identify someone's profession by the objects he or she was buried with. If they were buried with spears, they must have been a hunter or warrior. If they were buried with sewing needles, they must have been a tailor. If they were buried with certain sacred objects, they must have been a priest or shaman or holy person. If they were buried with exotic or expensive objects, they must have been an elite person or ruler and so forth. But this approach can be misleading. People put all kinds of objects under the graves of their beloved relatives, not necessarily those that the person used in their lifetime. A person may have been buried with an array of items to provision themselves in their afterlife, and not all of them would have necessarily reflected that person's role in life. For example, two infants at the Upward Sun River site who have been genetically sexed as female, and the toddler at the Anzic site who is genetically sexed as male, were all buried with spears. These children were not physically spearing and butchering Pleistocene mammoths. So the inclusion of spears in their burials must have had some other meaning. Perhaps they were intended to become warriors or hunters as adults, and their status was ascribed rather than earned. Perhaps their kin had an understanding of the afterlife as one in which the children would have used these objects, or they served as symbolic or sacred objects. We must be cautious in our interpretations. Regardless, the interpretation of one burial with hunting implements as a big game hunter because he was biologically male, and another buried with the same objects as not a big game hunter simply because she was biologically female is unsound. It's very important to be mindful of our own biases in interpreting the archaeological record. To get a broader perspective on just how frequently biologically female individuals may have been big game hunters, the authors who reported the Willamaya Patia burials did a systematic study of the association between individuals with inferred sex and the artifacts they were buried with at sites throughout the Americas. Out of 27 individuals buried in late Pleistocene and early Holocene sites with toolkits for hunting big game that were possible to sex morphologically, 11 have been sexed as physically female. This suggests at minimum that hunting may not have been viewed as an exclusively male activity across all time and localities throughout the Americas. I mean, I have a lot, many thoughts about that, besides almost being brought to tears by the fact that. Uh-huh. If you think that's nuts, a few pages later, she has, uh, the author has some uh, uh, paragraphs on the existence of stone makers and children as stone tool makers. Here, let me get to that one, actually. Let me find it. Uh, meanwhile, tell me more of what you were thinking. Yeah, I, I mean, the main thing I was thinking was um, the first thing that occurred to me was that, like, it's like, um, how, <clears throat> how many layers 
you know, it's like uh, there's a certain point in your life when you reach a certain age and then like uh, the whole world is revealed to you. And then you hit another age and the whole world is revealed to you again. And then you hit another age and the whole world is revealed to you again. And every time you keep being surprised, like this whole thing was there, but it was there the whole time. It's just you reach a certain age where you understand certain things and then it makes a little bit more sense. And then you realize that a lot of people were saying things your whole life that they didn't really, they didn't even know what they were saying, but they were saying something that was something else, but then it all makes sense. And uh, I think the human lifespan is really the limiting factor there. I think the fact that we can only live to learn so many things is what makes all this chaos. If we could live 250 years, then maybe, you know, that would obviously we'd be insufficient for okay. some other reasons. But mm-hmm. the it makes me think that anything that's ever been written down previous to our own lifetime is all subject to question, especially things that don't have any evidence to back it up. I mean, like literally everything, all of history. Any of the art, any artifact record, any paleontolo- paleontological record, which had been plenty of times shown to be completely off base i mean there's literally i was just looking Mm -hmm. on the internet the other day at some uh, scandinavian uh university museum has this like known on the internet as like the worst fossil recreation of all time it's literally like two dinosaur leg bones and like a head plopped on top of it but that you take that and extend it to our view two thousand years later of christ time or three thousand years later from Mm -hmm. like the egyptian pharaohs or something like that none of that shit means anything to us it's literally like looking at like you know, going into our garbage dumps and looking mm-hmm. for like the cool ranch bag and like the diamond ring and being like, I don't know, they liked yep. diamond rings and cool ranch Doritos. And yeah, we did, but there's like 15 million other things about us that would be the context mm-hmm. to actually figure out what's going on. I think, much like you said in the mentioning in the book, where we go back and look for physical objects found around people, I had never considered that possibility in my entire life. The fact that Maybe someone's, every single one of those conditions, as you were saying them, I was like, oh, here's two or three conditions I could come up for why this person would be buried with something, but not actually be a tailor. Like, or this person could be buried with something. Or even uh, strictly, the part that made me really tear up was the part about gender specifically, because I feel like the wool could have been pulled over society's eyes as little as 300 years ago, 400 years ago. Not even that. Like, uh, like if you consider, imagine this. If the greatest consp- the greatest lie of all time was really that um, it, a male uh, that no <clears throat> if that the power structure of the world has always been male and that that that's what we're fighting against to gain equality so that we already lost like before we even started fighting a battle or or in fact that at some point the power structures were able to change things and then make it look that way. If that is the case, which I'm completely understanding that to be the case, uh, then, I mean, everything's off the table. I would say anything that wasn't, like, in living record of history might as well be, like, completely up for grabs, especially when it comes down to, like, historical record looking at, like, tablets and fossils and shit. I feel like any of that is might as well just be some thread that all historians have written together. Um if, I mean, we, if this, we can't this, agree on who this, killed like, JFK, then what the fuck can they figure out about Hammurabi? They, what, they right. don't know shit about that. And, and, and we will only, and, and, and whatever we think we know will only be expanded on, right? Like, yeah. I, I, think, I think that's like the biggest thing that I always see, which is I, I don't know that I can ever speak with certainty. I mean, it sounds like I do. And if push comes to shove, I'm pretty certain about some things. But like, um, I still humble myself in the idea that, like, one, I'm only one individual on this earth. I'm only yeah. part of, like, a whole long chain uh, of people of my ancestry, of, um, 
of, of people who decide to study whatever the fuck I decided to study, uh, of the various identities with which I manifest, right? Like, I'm just one more in that chain, right? And I have whatever that is, I, I can only do so much. And I'm okay with that. But I could never, ever actually say with any certainty, Kathy, what's it going to be like when you die? You know, or Kathy, what's it going to, wh what is the like highest truth of virtue or something? I, I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. um, or, or like, I mean, I think of like, you know, when we were little kids, I think, or we were, we told were a little dinosaurs. Well, you know, we used to be once upon a time, right? Like, we were told about dinosaurs, mm -hmm. right? And we learned about dinosaurs' and bones, and we laugh at that fucking joke unicorn that you just mentioned, right? But that's may as well may may as well be what we were given to, because if I take one of those dinosaur books that I had as a ten-year-old and compared it to the knowledge in a current-day dinosaur book that a ten-year-old will get. Mm -hmm. The knowledge and growth that the entire field of paleontology has done since I was a child in the 1990s to now is tremendous. The amount of LIDAR, the amount of DNA, the amount of like sequencing, the amount of like all kinds of shit, right? Like, yeah. They, they know so much more now. We must be at the Star Trek Enterprise scanning a planet level of technology compared to what mm -hmm. we had when we were born, right. I assume. Yeah. And so, of course, these youngsters know that there's like, like, I don't even think a stegosaurus is real. I think like that's a name I remember. But I think if I actually looked it up right now, they're going to be like, no, that's not actually what it's called. I Turns out that that right one here. dinosaur was two dinosaurs yeah. or some stupid shit like that. Right. Two um, dinosaurs die next to each other and they get confused and they invent a new dinosaur. I mean, that's the thing. That's, that's right. Like, uh, I, this one had I'm two definitely, heads. I'm definitely going to have to read that book. Instead of like, oh, one. it must have been two people, right? Definitely going to have to read that book. But the the thing you say, um, the, the gender issue is very interesting to me. Because, I mean, really, realistically, like, if, if the warrior class really was not what it had always been portrayed as in historical fiction, especially historical fiction feeding off of history, Lord of the Rings, hello, right? Or even if you think back to, to um, Greco-Roman times... And mm -hmm. that historical record, plenty of people who were considered male or female could have been anything else. And that would explain a lot of different things, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, gods and goddesses were frequently interchanged for gender, depending on which sect of followers were following them. I mean, so in, in, in like Aztec culture, individuals who were born with, um, I'll say it's a very insensitive term. You'll excuse me for using it. Who were born with physical deformities were considered blessed and touched by the gods. So in ancient Aztec society, apparently you had to like, they were like elevated to like this point of like priesthood. Cause they were like, Oh, like you've been really smiled upon it. What a strange, like I say, strange conception because yeah. it's exactly opposite of what we have here in the United States that considers folks who have, who have these additional physical challenges to their existence yeah. are considered as less than or unworthy and yeah. somehow maybe even evil touched by the devil yeah. even right like this part of this like uh, that puritanism completely opposite antithetical to apparently the way other cultures have perceived it and yet we we think oh like that they must have 
thought those people were horrible. Isn't yeah. that what normal people think? It's like, yeah. no, I don't know that that's what normal people think. That's what you guys think. And you know, trying to make that normal. And I don't know why. And that's weird, right? Like, because yeah. that doesn't seem humane, compassionate, or loving when it comes right down to it, right? Yeah. Like, the historical record shows that people with epilepsy were treated as like witches and all kinds of, you know, things for what happens to them. So I know that that's. <laughs> Okay, so yes, I'm going to read this next. Please. I'm going to read this, this next part because that great. actually is a nice little segue into children. Ah. So, the author talks about how spear points and how they had been made, and bits of rock had been tooled by human hands. Archaeologists had used that to connect one locality or one group of people in one location to another group of people in another. So they would say this group in present day Alaska looks like uh, the spear points of that group look like these ones in present day Montana. Therefore, they must have been connected here. This this person goes on to say, like, here's a bunch of reasons why we can't really determine that because of rock that that by itself is going to be what tells us these folks are related. Like, barring other evidence, like, that by itself is not going to stand. So okay. they, they talk about this, and they talk about the sophistication it took to actually create stone tools. And, like, anybody who's saying is, like, kind of like, let's take a moment at what it takes to actually create these, okay. right? Like, let's try to create them now, right? Let's take the same rock, take the same set of skills right same set of rocks yeah now let's do it because if it's that easy <laughs> like anyone's just anybody making them do it, then we should be able to just fucking pick them up right like j just kind of like making fire right so like we should be able to take two <laughs> sticks and rub them together and make fire technically right that's this belief but i've seen survivor and i know that uh, and we know 11 that's out right, of 11 Brian. people can that is exactly fucking right we know that no it is not that easy right so, so, but I, I'm just—I don't want to. I'll wait until after you're done to say what I'm thinking, because I want to see maybe if you mention it. Oh no, this one's really good. Okay. So in in the book, I really like the organization of it. By the way, I wanted to share this real quick. So there's like the narrative, but then every once in a while, the author will have like these sidebars yeah. in a different font, Evidence and this sidebar. Evidence for says, child toolmakers. Question mark. I really like uh, the author's writing style, by the way. It's very, like, it's very, it's, it's a very serious topic, um, but they're bringing, like, a kind of Mary Roach humor to it. If folks have read Mary Roach's book, Spook, um, or Stiff, they're, uh, they're, oh my God, Brian, you're, you, you're giving me this look like, I don't think I know Mary Roach. You better know, I mean, she's amazing. So she, uh, Mary Roach wrote, Kathy um, she's is helping like me a build reporter. a home library every episode. Yeah. Um, Mary Roach wrote, her first book is called Stiff, The Curious Lives of a Cadaver. And she follows cadavers that have been donated to science. And wow. she follows their path as they've gone to a variety of things. So some of them literally just go to the crematorium. She talks to folks in that industry and just learns all about it. Then there's one where um, a body is part of a, um, is taken to the FBI body farm at Quantico and is part of the study of putrefaction and decay and how that helps understand time of death. Yeah. How that, how, how that helps scientists do all that. 
um, different types of burials. Uh, it's a, it's a, so that's her first book. It's called mm -hmm. Stiff. There's another one called Bonk, which is about the reproductive lives of animals, which is also really fascinating. There's another one called Spook, which is about folks who believe in ghost stories. Ooh. Like just every one of her books. And she has, she has at this point, I think like nearly a dozen. I I I think I've only read like four of them. I say only four because she has a bunch. Um, take a look at that. So Mary Roach is very funny. Mm. She's almost with her. It almost feels like you're on a really funny show. Like like uh, talk about a reality TV show, right? Like like edition after edition. Um, this 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 author is a little bit more serious in the fact that she's also dealing with a much more. I think. Uh, academic and scientific topic and yet they are very funny and okay. so uh i say funny but they have a lot of heart like i the guy it's I, i'm actually appreciative that it feels like i'm actually talking to a human being when i'm reading this book um as opposed to like simply reading a book i don't know i wanted to mention that because i was really impressed with it okay evidence for child tool makers Throughout this book, a number of genomes are discussed that were sequenced from the remains of children. Child mortality was a tragic but common occurrence throughout the past. In the absence of antibiotics and vaccines, infections were often deadly, and children were especially vulnerable during times of climactic hardship and limited resources. As a mother of a toddler, I find it excruciatingly difficult to write dispassionately about this subject. Although children's remains are found all too often in cemeteries and isolated burials, their activities in life are surprisingly hard to detect in the early archaeological record of the Americas. In more recent archaeological periods in the Americas, a number of artifacts have been found that have been interpreted as toys, miniature pots, small projectile points that may have been used for child-sized bow and arrow sets. But we know almost nothing about the day-to-day -day lives of children in the late Pleistocene and early Holocene. Mm. Archaeologists who study this period have not historically prioritized the study of children's culture. But recently, there has been some research exploring this issue in the context of stone tool production and with fascinating results. Okay. The skill required to competently make or nap stone tools is not easily acquired. I discussed the footprints of children found at White Sands in chapter two. Oh yeah, uh-huh, sorry. I, as you can see, this is, this is, this is Am I gonna okay. start calling White Sands the, the, the tool mine or something? Oh my gosh, okay. no, I'm gonna send, I'll okay. send you an, I'll, okay. I'll link you an article here in a moment okay. too. But there are other traces of children in the archaeological record, including lithics, stone works. People who become skilled nappers do so only after many hours of observation. I, I know, to... right? I know. I spent oh, a lot of time I am watching an the dog. Expert napper. Yeah. I have spent a lot of time watching people nap. <laughs> I think I got the hang of it. Let me um, give it a shot. Put me in coach, I'm ready. <laughs> I don't even have to say the jokes. They just come no, out Kathy's mouth. No, but it's true, right? It's, but it's true. I was true. about to say those jokes. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I think that the stunning part was that I was, like, having a realization as I was reading this. Like, yeah, of course, stone, stone 
stone tool making is a learned behavior. Of course it is. Yeah. We see that with the crows. We see that with monkeys that break shit open. Yeah. Right? Like just whatever. Like, okay. Octopus know how to get out of a fish tank. I'm willing to accept anything if an octopus knows how to get out of a fish tank. That's right. Oh my God. Yeah. And those fuckers are just figure it out. They'll invent it. Right. I'm surprised they. The only reason octopuses, octopi, octopodes, take your pick. Um, um, Yeah. (laughs) The only reason those creatures did not invent fire is because they were underwater. Like otherwise, like they would be like supreme on this Mm -hmm. earth. Oh, yeah. Clearly. And fantasy got that one right. When they figured out Mm -hmm. that like the ultimate being in the universe, like in the Cthulhu verse, was going to be like tent, like, Octopus like mm-hmm. that, an artist knew. Thumbs up, yeah. Okay. People who became who become skilled nappers do so only after many hours of observation, hands-on experience, and feedback from experienced tool makers. Therefore, it seems reasonable that children who intended or were expected to become tool makers must have begun learning the process fairly early. Operating from this assumption and from ethnographic studies of both children and college-age students in flint napping classes, okay. what might what might a signature of beginning flint nappers, whatever their age, look like in the archaeological record? Archaeologists grappling with this question suggest that the first place to start looking is for obvious mistakes in the process particularly those that reflect poor motor coordination, which may be particularly associated with younger learners, and or demonstrate a poor understanding of how rocks will fracture when struck in particular ways. Gotta get those nice plastic brains, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, like, this was the other stunning revelation I had when I was reading this to myself, right? Which, I mean, again, to people who study this, it must be obvious, but, yeah. Yeah. there's different kinds of rocks in different places. So different kinds of tools naturally are going to have to be present. The way that you shape the rock depends on the rock you have. Yeah, they're using flint somewhere. They're using obsidian somewhere else. They're using, like, you know, some kind of granite, you know. Wow. Right? Oh, Crazy. my gosh. Yeah. The most obvious thing, like, just kind of writ large, makes me go, wow, how did I not really ever think of that? That was a high technology, like, for real. Right? Was, yeah. Pretty cool. Recently, a team of researchers led by Y.A. Gomez Kutuli have articulated different mistakes one might expect to find at different stages of the learning process, which they suggest spans childhood through adolescence. Translated such mistakes into specific expectations for what might be found in the archaeological record and used this approach to look for evidence of apprentice nappers at two sites in interior Alaska. Swan Point, dated to about 14,000 years ago, and Little Penguingu Creek, dated to about 10,000 years ago. These two sites have extensive debris from tool-making activities, specifically the production of microblades. Now, this is when you take, like, a whole little series of, like, razor-blade-shaped stones, and you line them up edge-to-edge, so you create, like, a knife. But it's like a composite knife. You've made like one long blade out of lots of little mini blades. And so that's why it's called the micro blade. So same thing. It's still a very precise type of cutting, right? Uh, Because for 
clearly kind of indicating that not every place was able to use one big giant rock, right, to make a thing. That alone is like, yeah. The only time I've ever seen like a multi-stone weapon is like in the uh, Pacific Islands. They have like the, I don't know know how to pronounce it exactly, but it's like a long piece of wood, almost like a, like a, a cricket bat. And then they have pieces of a city and they would stick like teeth into it. Um, that's <laughs> fascinating though. I, I, wow. Like to create one, actually that is higher technology to me than I was even aware existed. I didn't know that they created like a fine edge with, I, I understand it. It makes total sense to me and they invented it. It's wild. It's wild. It also makes me think uh, that uh, they had about 15 million other things that we just don't understand. Yeah, or, just have you know. no idea. Yeah. Here, I'll show you. Uh, there was a, on a previous chapter, um, a whole explanation the microblade toolkit and how it was made. And so you see right here. Yeah. Wow. That's super cool. I'm showing you how they made that like full blade using the little mini blades. So, okay. Uh, these two sites have extensive debris from tool making activities, specifically the production of microblades. The archaeologists examined the shape of the microblade cores and microblade core preforms to look for damage consistent with either the work of apprentice or skilled nappers. The researchers observed a number of examples of skilled nappers at both sites. They also identified the work of apprentice nappers, which seemed to span a range of abilities. They also found evidence at both sites of um, at both locations, sites of apprentices who clearly understood theoretically how to shape the tools, but didn't seem to have the skill to carry out the process to completion. At Little Penguin Gue Creek, which seems to have been a residential camp where people of all ages lived, rather than a short-term hunting camp like at Swan Point, researchers found a stone flaked by one apprentice napper who had a very poor understanding of the process and lacked the motor skills necessary to exert control over their strike. Totally nagging on that guy. Bad, bad it's job. It's very bad tempting. It's very tempting to imagine this stone was the product of a child trying to imitate adults or older children. Oh, really nagging on that guy. Well, that's great. I mean, that's science at work. There. They're, they're, they're learning. Yeah. They're learning. I love it. They got to get that block into that shape they you gotta build a little tower they gotta move a little bead from one side of the thing to the other that shit ain't easy get out of my way let That's me look at your what work we should be giving our our kids now right we should be like look kid put down the fucking put down vacuum the... popper or whatever <laughs> the fuck it is pick up a rock and make yourself useful get down here and nap these uh flint Nap these stones. Show me, show Enough me what you napping. have. Get to napping. That's the work of a five-year-old. You're at least seven. This is in, inappropriate for your age. Or, or <laughs> I just love also like the the guy at the university who was like an adult who was just doing a bad job. Like they're like, oh, let, get out of here. Let me look at your work. This is the work of a three-year-old. You're totally throwing off our science here. Come on. <laughs> Listen, have you considered maybe moving into some other thing, like not napping? Like, like maybe maybe uh, cooking is your deal. No, no, no. Like, organ testing, making medical science. Yeah. Work. Uh, 
Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes, Last couple Continue, paragraphs. Please, hold yes. on. Hold on. Hold on. As we as we think about this child learning. Yes. Interestingly, the authors observed that most of the cores hypothesized to have been made by apprentice nappers at both sites were clustered together, located around the margins of the tool production area at the at the site where skilled nappers were working. There's some evidence that the learners were using poor quality stone to practice on as well, reserving the high quality tool stone for the experienced nappers, although they also shaped poor quality stones. This research gives us a wonderful and fascinating glimpse into the day-to-day -day lives of younger people during this period. As the authors note in the last line of their paper, no doubt these prehistoric boys and girls were frustrated at their napping errors but these were errors that it was right to make, for they led step by step towards the mastery of the skills required to their survival. Yeah, yeah. It makes me think of like, uh, that's incredible. It makes me think of like, uh, that was the baseball of the era. That was like, you know, mean Joe Green throwing his like jersey off to the kids as they like, all the kids are like watching like, oh, they're like the best nappers in the biz. Look at this, this is incredible. I'm gonna try to do what he did. I'm gonna be like the greats. And then, you know, but that's how natural, you know, journeyman, the journeyman path would have worked mm -hmm. back then. It's not like there was like, hey, kids, sign up for my class. It's like people are just going to watch you do things, even if you don't necessarily want them to. And then they're going to know mm -hmm. how to do the thing. That's and There that's, also wasn't yeah. like TV, right? Because yeah. like now, right? Exactly. Like, 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 I mean, I think of like whenever my dad was working in the garage, there was also the sense of like, kid, you're underfoot. Why don't you go like why don't you go play outside or something right whereas like and it's because like i also think about it like well of course because those skills also aren't necessary to our survival in the same way either right like if what my dad was learning was actually or what my the knowledge that my dad held in that moment was like a life or death skill then he would have absolutely passed it on it was just more like nah you can pay anybody to go change your oil like i'm just doing it for fun because i want to be out in the garage yeah Go run and play. Like, you're going to take this to fucking Jiffy Lube anyway, right? Who gives a shit? Go. And, and since survival was so important and food was such a high priority, I have to imagine that the weapons used to take food down and make sure you could guarantee it's, you know, you would want to have, I imagine, this is probably a big part of bartering at the time, since obviously there's no currency. If anything, the currency were these kinds of improved tools. Um, so if you're going to, like, yeah. I mean, realistically... So they the author later on in the book yes. and i'm still only like halfway done with it by the was, way i think the trade was the thing i was going to bring up at the very beginning i was okay they they mention how they have found certain tools made of certain stone in locations much like oh. andy dufresne says in the shawshank redemption a big giant obsidian rock where an, obs an obsidian rock has no business being an object out of place except now there's explanations because we have a little more creative thinking <laughs> yeah so it just it, yeah i i have um i've been enjoying this book and i'm still only halfway done with it because yeah. um, i'm just trying to sneak little bits in here and there whenever i can um and uh it certainly has made me rethink or reconsider reponder um all of the things that I think I've been taught, right? Like, um, yeah. Yeah. and how I haven't revisited them, right? It's not because I'm like deliberately trying to keep myself stupid. 
it's like I, I don't I don't really work with dinosaurs, you know, so I, I haven't really needed to stay up on the latest dinosaur technology. You know? One immediate recommendation I can make about revisiting old uh, empires and, and forgotten things is the podcast uh, Fall of Empires. Uh, I believe it's called Fall of Fall of Fall of Empires. Isn't that it? Fall of, Civil, Fall of Civilization podcast. That's what it is, okay. and it's about the look at today's. It's a look about the look at history, but it's all written from today's perspective. So it'll definitely inform how you see empires at large. Perhaps even the one we live in. It's not about that, but it is about that. And you'll see, because I think the author who writes the script and then like reads it and stuff, it's very, very, very fascinating. He does it. He does the job that I always wanted to see about, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Rapa Nui people, for example. Why wouldn't I call? Mm-hmm. Why would I call them that instead of the people from Easter Island? Well, you listen to that, and then you're going to know for fucking sure that you're never going to want to call mm-hmm. them the people from Easter Island ever again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holy shit. There's so shit. much to learn. Start, start There's so much to learn, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, no, I pulled it up immediately. <laughs> that sounds exactly like the kind uh, of thing good... I want to watch. I'm going to listen to it plane, I think. I say, I say watch because I see the little... I see they're on the YouTube. They have their yes, videos here. they're free on Ooh, YouTube. What, what, These are what my are books. Your, what are the books you're taking? These are my books. So I have... I have uh, this one. These were both recommended by Twitter user friend Aardvark Wizard. Um, oh, nice. This is... Uh, this is, I'll just read it here. The American Way of Death Revisited. This is by Jessica Mitford. It was apparently like the original kind of text that they, it's one of the texts that they give you like when you're going to learn about uh, the uh, post-mortem industry, is what I'll call it from my current perspective, you know, what they do with bodies when they're done, you know? And then this is another one about uh, basically the same thing from a different perspective. Instead of a historical perspective, it's more of like a today's, you know, um, encyclopedia from here to eternity uh, by Caitlin Doty. Doughty, I'm going to say author yeah. of smoke gets in your eyes. It sounds really good too. It's about, um, kind of the modern industry of death and like how, why everything costs what it does and globally, like what do people do and what does our oh. country do and stuff with bodies. So oh. one's like a text and one's kind of like a fun book. So I'm going to look into both of those things. I'm sure it'll be fun to read on a plane. Uh, not, yeah, because that's literally what else do you want to like think couple, about your mortality. A couple more weeks before I'm going to dive into those. But I read Choke on a plane. I read, um, what else? I read the other one, too. I read uh, the one you're not supposed to read on a plane. Is that the one where he survives a plane crash, Choke? I don't know. Chuck Palnuck. Uh, alive, uh, the story of the Brazilian soccer team or whatever. Um, I'm still thinking about that 13 lives or whatever. 13 the Thai caves uh, rescue one. I'm going to, one of these days I'm going to take on like a biography of D.B. Cooper or something. I say biography because no one knows who he is, but you know, the yeah. whole story. There's a, there's a, a, a Netflix doc out about that right now, but I haven't checked it out yet. I'm, I'm gonna, now that you mentioned that I may, um, let's see. I'm going to look at all the, all the post-it notes that I've written down. And before we go here, let's see. Doc, doctors are any kind. No. Oh, uh, Poison Rose. Go check that out. John Travolta. Um, it's on Netflix. It's been out for a few years, 2019. Uh, Brendan Fraser. If you wanted to see a little preview of Brendan Fraser oh. acting as Brendan Fraser in today's world, much like the award-winning Brendan Fraser, or not award-winning, but six-minute ovation-winning Brendan Fraser of the last night's Venice Film Festival, um, and you want to know what Brendan Fraser is up to when his acting is like these days, go watch The Poison Rose with John Travolta, if not just for their scenes. Because, I mean, I actually thought the movie was um, exactly knew what it was and was great. 
Um, <laughs> but if it's campy on purpose, it's made to be like a 70s detective movie, in my opinion. The Poison Rose, okay. if reviewed poorly, was not received as what it was supposed to be, which was a modern version of a 70s noir detective thing, which meant that it was already it was already imitating something that was over like done. And that's why it follows all the tropes I think it does on purpose. Oh yeah. Brendan no, Fraser's it's acting rot- it's rotten tomatoes score is bad. But Brendan Fraser's acting in it, you'll see, I think is really good. I'm gonna give it a shot. Give it a shot. Oh, you'll let. Uh, by the hey, way, Kathy, if nothing else, you'll Have you finished laugh. Better Call Saul? No, I'm. 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 I'm okay. I want Just to. Just wondering. I want. Just to. wondering if you'd finished. I may. Just, I may. I may. That was why I was asking. Go view the last. I'm gonna go view the last season then. Probably. Okay. I'll have to view like okay. the. Okay, I'll do it. I'll get. Uh, I think uh, again, no spoilers. Mm-hmm. I think there are some. Uh, visual narrative devices in the last several episodes that I think would be of particular interest to folks like you and me who do this podcast. Then I will absolutely consume it immediately. I'll take your invisible recommendation there. Um, <laughs> no rush. There's like 8 billion things. And okay. like, you know, like okay. I get it. You know, you may want to let the zeitgeist die down. It's I'm fine, thinking about you know? sending you a, 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 a rift. Um, and, oh, no, and that's not what they call it anymore. What do they call it now? The, I'm thinking of sending you, sending you a VR headset so we can do VR chat because I think that'd be funny as a reality <laughs> issues layer of something. Um, that's something I we have. might have to start filming it then, right? Like I want to set your like, phone up. Or I something. think what I want to do is yeah. I, I really want to be like a glitch character for Halloween, like where I just like walk into a wall, <laughs> can't stop walking. You know, like you'll have I to have get to like c- civilian outfit. You'll. Have- <laughs> no, there is this moment when uh, dur- during the conference we were we were um, uh, this sounds worse than what it actually was. I assure you that it was really fun. Okay. But we were playing like a whole group board game uh-huh. and we we're trying to figure out who should go represent our team, as it were. Uh-huh. And a lot of people like volunteered like, oh, I want to go represent our team. And, you know, then we had this moment where, like, okay, explain why you want to be our representative. And somebody was like, oh, well, you know, like, I think, like, I, I feel pretty confident. I, it was like a trivia type of a thing. Like, they'd been paying attention. And and everyone went around like, oh, do you want to be on the team? I'm like, here's why I want to be on the team. I'm like, I've got good start screen character select <laughs> moves. I'm like, that I want to do when I'm up there waiting for everyone. <laughs> to everyone home, we're both doing start screen select. And literally, moves. yeah, start screen character select moves. And literally crickets across my group. I was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. I was so mad. I'm like, why am I wasting all these good jokes on you people? They're all fired. <laughs> yeah, we got to keep them. So you got to keep them to the right moment. I guess works for me. Yeah. Anyway, I felt so bad that that was why I needed to say it now. <laughs> I really appreciate. Anyone's this, gonna appreciate. Yeah, that's exactly right. If anyone's gonna appreciate. It's gonna be here. So, thank you, thank you, Brian, for giving me this space. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just literally looking over a bunch of post-it notes of things that occurred to me as funny that I didn't want to say at the moment. So let's see. Um... Couldn't even read that one. See, that's the problem. Is they're usually so funny, and in the moment, it's like I don't even know. I called Jody tomorrow. That's right. I did do that. Um, that was just a reminder. Hold on. Oh, this one says eggs, bread, milk. Look, this Sorry. one says statistical proof 
according, and then what does that say? I don't know. So we can't we can't that know says now. Money. Uh, money. It <laughs> does say it money. money. Statistical proof according to money. You're right, which I can't remember. <laughs> money says. I know what this one is. This is to remind me of a story that I'll tell at some point. Um, that's um, Mr. Money. Dr. This, this money. one says Whole Foods. Okay, get this one. I yes. was supposed to remember that Whole Foods was going to remind me of a story. Nope. Not, not specific <laughs> enough. And then... Uh, <laughs> The rehearsal Netflix doc five eps. That doesn't make any sense either because that was on HBO Max and it had six episodes. So I don't know what that meant either. I'm just going through. These are I from like, like two I, weeks ago, I, by the way. I like, though, that you were trying to distinguish it, right? Because you, you probably wrote down the rehearsal and you were like, no, wait, I don't want to think that I mean the Nathan Fielder one. I mean the other one. I remember what it is now. Okay, there is this. <gasps> I remember See? there's a Netflix doc that has five episodes. It's in French and Spanish because it's about a, the, uh, a situation between a, a French citizen who got in trouble in uh, Mexico. Uh, yes. And uh, Jacques Chirac got involved. And um, uh, who else? I don't know. It's an international incident, but it's on Netflix. It's five episodes. And the reason I, I'm having, you know, I'm watching it with subtitles for all. There's no English in it at all. So I'm watching those subtitles. So, Kathy, I think you would really enjoy it because it is really about reality issues. There's even a point where one of the characters goes, during this process, I felt like I was on a reality show. And I was like, yep, I was already thinking that. Um, of course. Oh, yeah. So maybe uh, maybe we could talk about that at some point. But I'll, I thought it was pretty cool. We just... Um, the, the language barrier element means that I have to like look at the subtitles, so I have mm. to be like in full attention mode. So that's why I've only seen half of it so far. See, uh, I'm a subtitle enjoyer. Oh, it was. Oh, I'm a. It's 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 the problem is that all the people are speaking in a language, so I have to like I don't know. It's like hard for my brain to for some for some reason documentary specifically. Like I could watch Akira, mm. I don't know, but something about documentaries makes it. I don't know. Also, they're saying a lot of details about like crime and stuff, and then following the subtitles while they're showing documents like on screen is also very difficult, especially then when we're pausing and like, yeah. Anyway, I highly recommend it though. It is ex extremely interesting. It's basically about the biggest scandal that like ever uh, happened between France and Mexico. If you're interested to know. Wow. That. Yeah. No, I am. So. Mm. Okay. Um, well. We'll we'll catch up on that. We'll, we'll come back on that. I'll, I'll when I remember. Please things. continue with the post-its. Baseball is becoming my favorite reality show. Want to be a part? That was my write, writing that one down. Uh, That's oh, correct. I found out that there's a show called Love in Atlanta. Oh, excuse me, Love and Hip Hop Atlanta, Miami. That's the name of the show. It's just Love and Love and Hip Hop My Atlanta, Miami. That's amazing. Okay. Uh, let's see what else. Um. Let's see. Can't solve crossword puzzle. Frustrated by fear of unreality, not unknown. I don't understand other lifestyles. Scared, confused of unreality. Can't understand. Uh, and you have really. Oh, I was talking about people with uh, people who have very closed minds. I was trying to think of like what fears they have in understanding larger uh, thought processes. Basically, and it's one the, of it's them the fear was of the being unknown. unable to finish a crossword puzzle. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Oh, it's 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 adapting the 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 thought process of very basic anxieties um, and extending how it's connected to uh, something as complicated as something that would create uh, like a racist ideology within someone. Like it's extending like the human connection between 
frustration, how it becomes fear of different things. Anyway. Oh, the reason that I can't properly nap my rock is like the problem of like Hungarians. Yeah, because in there and people's or minds, like, like like we create some weird narrative in our head that makes yes. that makes sense. Yes, that's yeah. basically what I was writing down. In, yeah, okay. And I scrawling, just to, like, and scrawling it on a note this small, so I can kind of like barely understand. No, I just wanted to, you know I, I'm just Thank sounding you. it back. You know, I want to make you know, and I know that that sounded like a ridiculous example, and that's because you know I, I kind of wanted to just be ridiculous, I guess. I, I don't actually have anything against Hungarians. Maybe I do, and I don't know it. Maybe I need to. So I should examine my like internalized anti-Hungarian biases. Yes, surely so far, I have. Some. So far as I know, one of my great grandmothers was Hungarian. However, I, I also had a DNA test, and it turns out I'm 11% Korean. Um, so I don't think that's true either. Um, Kathy's looking see, at me right I, now. Do you detect that's, any Korean? That's Kathy? A, no. This is no. Uh, see, my skepticism isn't with that. With like that, it's like how do how how does the <laughs> like genetic websites say that right like because that's the part that like i'm kind of curious about as as like as far as like date and time right like if we know like i don't know that it's that but not bananas to think that somewhere in the like eastern continent you have an ancestor the question is when did that ancestor enter that genetic Uh, line eastern europe uh genghis khan dna would be well i mean uh, for you right so i mean yes i mean but i, I mean have are any of Eastern us Europe. able to are any of us able to and oh. or can the machine is what i mean can when, mm. when i if i were to take a genetic test would it be able to say this is when it kind of sort of or we predict this is when it came in and is that what it means by korean yes like what does it mean yeah because that's what i you know what i mean it was 23 in me i could just do the test again and i wonder if it would just come back the same you know because i was like 2000 let's say eight or nine when i did that and i, I had the <laughs> I mean, pdf i printed the pdf out and it might still be living somewhere within my files but like uh i remember showing it to I'm many really people i'm really gonna study for this test i'm gonna start learning so really study uh, let's see here's another uh, post-it note i have here that says uh many small requests and then below that sarsaparilla oil I feel like sarsaparilla and oil are two different requests. Uh, I think it's possible. I was thinking about one. what would happen if I put sarsaparilla oil in one of those like you know uh, essential oil kind of things and make the whole house smell like root beer. That's what I was actually thinking about. I think. Is there such a thing as sarsaparilla oil? I don't know, but if you could, <laughs> isn't that what root beer tastes like? That's what I was thinking at the time. Um, let's see, class good, trip. Well, you oh. could use maybe like ginger. Yeah. Some some small amount. I don't know. That's ginger beer. I, I was guess. thinking that uh, one day we could take a class trip where we all flew to one specific place and went to like some museums or something. I thought that would. Be oh, fun. I love that. That was just an I idea. I love that. I said itinerary. Leave to me because I'm good at planning itineraries. What else? Baseball is my favorite reality show. Love it. Okay, we got these here. What else? Oh, uh, I was wow. recently watching a documentary that was talking about people who. Well, it mentioned people who uh, ghostwrite. And I was thinking that we would be perfect for that, if we, especially if we ghost wrote something for someone who didn't ask for it. I think that would be. Oh funny. yeah, no, we should. Yeah, no, I like that too. Okay, I just looked up Sasper. Well, I looked up root beer. Okay. Apparently, there can be two types of root beer. Okay. There is either, um, wait, where'd it go? Uh, 
you use the root bark of the sassafras tree oh. or the vine of the sarsaparilla. Oh. So I clicked on the sarsaparilla. Is that like the difference says, between A&W and Barks? Like once, once. I think, yeah, it must be like, yeah, the difference between like hops and uh, what's the other one? Uh, malt. Malt. Yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. You can see which one I prefer. Hops <laughs> and the other one. Yeah, exactly. We know it. We know what Santa Fe prefers. <laughs> um, so it says that not only is it the basis for the soft drink frequently called sarsaparilla, it was also considered to be a popular treatment for syphilis by the Europeans when it when the vine was introduced into the new world. From 1820 to 1910, it was registered as a treatment for syphilis. I don't, it does not say anything about how effective that treatment might have been. I'm just here on the, uh, yeah, Wikipedia. I'm just, you know, for all I know, they're, 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 they're pranking me, you know, um, hoping that I drink a lot of root beer to cure my, <laughs> my syphilis. That was, that was um, an old, uh, that was an old, uh, <laughs> that was an old timey cure. I was going to say, uh, tricking people on Wikipedia was an old time something awful game that we could play if you want. We could change right. something like live on the podcast and then see how many years it takes someone to like recognize. I once changed my mine was I got three or four years on the uh, Wikipedia article for the uh, Senate candy um, drawer. I changed it so that it contained uh, for a, like a certain year. It was in control by. This was on there for years. I used to check it with people and laugh at it. You used to be able to go and see that Senator John McCain was in control of the candy desk for one year, and all it had in it was pennies. <laughs> <laughs> Four years it said that. <laughs> the, the, the part of the... I remember that shit. I, I, I never did it myself. It's funny because I'm always threatening to do it. <laughs> like, I'm always like... Uh, so... <laughs> So there was a moment uh, when I was in Minneapolis with some friends and we were like, essentially a group of us from the conference were going down to the river and I was looking up like Minnesota facts and Minneapolis. I like literally just Googled Minneapolis facts and wanted to see what came up. And apparently, you know, it was also a big major hub of butter production. So okay. I immediately pulled up butter facts, right? <laughs> Yeah, and then proceeded to regale the other long-suffering members of my party with nothing but butter facts. I'm sure they thought I was, you know, I love this nuts. But of course, they they thought it was delightful because actually we're all kind of nerds, and also, you know, I mean, it's just it's it's who doesn't want a good butter fact? But I, I started making some up. <laughs> like, okay, good. Butter is the third most consumed food by volume. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, wow, that's impressive and surprising. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. And you're like, no, it's okay. You don't need to look that up. Is greatest in, you know? Yeah, exactly. I love that. I love like uh, painless or what's the like non-problematic misinformation. Just giving someone like a, a fact that would never impact anyone's life. But they're just like, damn, that's crazy. And you're like, yeah, wow. Yeah, 37% of people know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> crazy. I'd never believe that. But wow, they, they, you told me that, so I do. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Oh, I was going to suggest, here's another uh, oh, post-it note that just fell down. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm suggesting an adult math Duolingo, because I, I, I don't know how to do math anymore, and I was thinking if there was like something that was Duolingo for math, I would totally do it. 
Maybe there is. Don't know. Maybe it's Khan Academy. Yeah. Are you familiar with this website? No. I'm gonna I'm gonna link it to you. Okay. Continue, please. I also wrote beginning Flint Napper underneath that because I never want to forget <laughs> those words. Um. Expert Napper. Gendered words, gendered linguists. I just wrote down, but I think I can put that in the pile since we talked about them. No, we we you know I I I, I remain struck by how much. Uh, I'll keep them on the board. Say how much we, how much ground we cover here on yeah. our on our delightful, difficult, more <laughs> oven time. Yeah, that is always the challenge. Yeah. The challenge is that you always need more time in the oven. It's, it's it actually said difficulty with an arrow Especially pointing up like mine's next electric, to the words over. Shoving my head in there, it's just just not. Work. How about this one? How about this one? How about this I one? I just burned my hair. It just smells Urbanist, bad. ruralist, and then the words um, invented <laughs> slang. That's it. I say with two Zs, like E40 would say. Uh, then I say, what happened? Then I say whiz um, Philly slang. Whiz out, because I was talking about whiz or without um, cheese for your Philly cheesesteak. I don't know what happened there, but that's just something I wanted to bring up. Let's see what else is this. Oh. See, I'm 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 fascinated that you keep these like on post-its and not mm -hmm. like on a notebook that you just like date. What if I said I kept these all on post-its because I was thinking one day I was gonna read these all off to you in a rapid fire fashion to make us laugh. <laughs> and the other things I wrote down in the journal. Um, <laughs> I wrote, Both could be true. I, wrote, Both could be I, true. I actually wrote this down to remember remember what our initial conversation was about and what we said this show was actually going to be about, which was the Surreal Life, Flava Flav, and My Fair Brady, three shows which well, we, have never gone never discussed or watched on this show. That's why on the tiniest post-it, which I've kept here in the front of this uh, <laughs> no, Wall Street the, Journal the, from a few days ago. You need to get that framed like our first dollar I will, bill. Right? You know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, let's see. What else do I have here? I still have Battered Bastards of Baseball, which I'm going to watch probably this oh week. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Try to find um, it. So good. Let's see. Child's. Oh, Child's. I wrote this one down. Child's Sports Star Safety and Advocacy. I was thinking I was trying mm. to watch like a documentary about like keeping Little League kids from getting turned into like uh, the meat grinder basically you know it's it's not easy to learn napping <laughs> like i think there's a lot of child exploitation in napping like their little they're... tiny hands can kind of reach and hold different little pieces like you know but they're sharp like i don't know we need some more child safety napping laws i also have okay i have four more notes and then <laughs> i have this book. <laughs> oh my god kidnapping Kid, child, I had a, how did we not think of that long. then? People kidnapping time. children to force them to make, uh, you know, uh, fine Napping. points. Yeah, to nap. Yes. To nap stones. To put a fine point on it. <laughs> Let's kidnap some children. I'm going to go and say uh, that uh, children that are napping kids... Um, <laughs> napping, napping kids. That's what the that's what the cl their club was <laughs> yeah, called. Napping kids. The napping kids were out there napping all the obsidian to turn into uh, arrow weapons. Uh, oh, here, ridiculous. this is. I wrote this one down. Brushing teeth. Uh, OJ documentary. This was something that actually I found very very interesting. I'm gonna put that down for a second. 
okay. I was going to write down, these are some of the other scams that I ran when I was a kid. You can. I'm going to let you look at them, a AOL CDs, mm -hmm. and then the, the name Vandalay Vandalay Industries. Mm -hmm. I used, uh, yeah, to, I used yeah. to use that. Mm -hmm. We'll get mm -hmm. to that. That's a story for a different mm -hmm. episode. Everyone loves uh, Vandalay in Industries. Um, I mean, especially if you're only an exporter or only an importer, you have to... You got to choose one. This is in our dream future. This is uh, something that we came up with. Uh, uh, this is what we want the future to happen instead of like now. This is what we want uh, here at this home. I'm gonna is say that this. on all of the books? Yes, Jillian and I were talking and we said girls be drawing pussies in all the books instead of exactly. And everyone like will. Like wieners and all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. like because that's that, that's how we know we really, you know, that's really what, undone. The we decided that's when so we'll we know. stop drawing dicks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boats. Oh, that's this the go-to vandalism sign. Yeah. This is another. Exactly. This is another. Exactly. When there's an American vandal about that, it's over. Then we'll know it's over. Uh, boat show subscriptions. Uh, that's a story about uh, me growing up. That uh, and you know, you, meant, you know that scene, those sequence of scenes in Better Call Saul, where Kim and Saul or Jimmy are. Uh, at bars pretending to be people, other people, and they kind of become somewhat addicted to it at some point. It's like a, a habit they get into. Mm -hmm. um, imagine me and my father doing that when I was like seven to 11 at the Miami International Boat Show to get him subscriptions to trade magazines. I'll tell that story sometime. I am, I am suddenly <laughs> picturing um, the, um, that, that, that bit in Arrested Development a lot of boats uh, uh you the, know what the hot cops may or may not have been present i'll, I'll just say that uh <laughs> and here one more book that i will be bringing on my trip to make sure that my my mind yes. is, is i have this physical book which mm -hmm. kathy has words about um but uh it's called Fire no I, I we'll talk yeah about read it first mm -hmm. i um so I'll, I'll just mention this um firestorm is this book about how uh can you read the sub the subtitle how wildfire will shape our future and it was written i believe in 2019 or 2018 2017 my bad even slightly older so i was yeah. I, I think i was like in law school when when i read it um and because I was trying at that point to figure out, like, did I want to go into, like, environmental law? Did I want to go into, like, civil rights, constitutional law, the criminal defense? Like, I was trying to figure out exactly what my path was going to be. And so I was, like, reading books like this to try to, I don't know. But a friend of mine recommended it to me, and I um, picked it up. I got it, um, read it. I was, like, fascinated by it. And I immediately turned around and gave it to a friend of mine who... Is, is a wildland firefighter at that time here and is now um, on a local fire department. Um, and we just had a lot of really interesting conversations about it as somewhat, he is someone who was essentially on the front lines of these things and here in New Mexico. So um, yeah, I am looking forward to you reading it yeah. now in 2022, because I mean, I don't remember half of what was Australia in Australia hadn't know, happened and, yet. You know, in Australia, right. I mean, that was like the biggest ever. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm very so interested I was in checking this I, out. I'm fascinated to think about, like, how that dude is going to react to, yeah, like, the kind of shit that we've seen in these last several years. I mean, all what the biggest, all the biggest look like? honestly, this was written, yeah, because all the biggest notable ones since this publication, I mean, have, I mean, the this subject has evolved since this book mm -hmm. was published. That's, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Um, uh, again, kind of to the point, like, 
I'm not an expert in fire, right? Like I'm not an expert in anthropological anthropological genetics or whatever this woman is. Um, and yet these are the folks who are kind of upending all of our understanding of how the world works or, you know, are, are sounding alarm bells in some cases, right? Like, I mean, certainly neither of these individuals uh, stated themselves to be the end all be all expert, right? But like, they're writing these books because they're saying, hey, look, check this out, right? Like, look at how much growth and knowledge we still have ahead of us. And um, this is like, I feel like why people who aren't in these fields need to give a shit about this, right? Like, because they're not stories about uh, ecological stewardship and they're not stories about anthropological genetics, right? They're stories about humankind, the world and our place in it. And uh, I don't know, it's just, and getting yeah, a little it bit feels like there's not to... enough time for all these stories. No, there would never be enough time in our lives to read. Put the microphone closer. There will never be enough time in our lives to read anything near what we would want to know to complete our view of what's happening. So, with that in mind, every single day, we just need to, uh, I don't know, uh, make your choices. I don't know. I think uh, I think I love to watch baseball game, and I love to watch anything that has nothing to do with anything. Um, and I love to read a book like this. And uh, you put those all together, and you come up with the human experience. Um, and you get to decide. You you get to curate your own little experience. How cool is that? It's kind of like Netflix, except like you get to say like, oh, look at all this stuff. I get to choose all these things. And yes, I have these three books on this trip. I may like crack open two of them, and I may actually open one like tomorrow. But. Um, uh, I, but who knows? Who knows? You might get distracted by simply sitting outside and listening to birds singing and enjoying, like, a lemonade in the sunshine. Like, that could be it. Exactly. And that, too, is a beautiful study of the human experience. And that's what I was thinking about watching The Poison Rose. I was thinking, I know the reviews for this weren't great. I knew that back in 2019. But I saw it pop up on Netflix, and it was the number nine in movies. And I was thinking, wow, I wonder what John Travolta was up to in 2019. What kind of movies is John Travolta making? And then I watched that. And then I was very surprised to see that Peter Stormare was in it, doing a very great Peter Stormare. Um, that uh, it was a bunch of great actors. Brendan Fraser was in it as like uh, you know, kind of one of the you know adversaries in the detective story. Basically, he was like a corrupt doctor or something. But incredible, and I really just uh, I found myself looking at something no longer through this 1990s, 2000s kind of critical view of deciding whether or not something is good or bad. I was just watching it, just saying, like, what's up with John Travolta? And, like, what's up with, like, all these people these days? Like, what, what is it? What is the, when you make a detective noir in 2019 that's trying to pretend to be a, a detective noir that's, like, the long goodbye or something from, like, 20 or 1976 or whatever, like, what does that look like? I mean, that's what it looks like. And now I know. And now I can say definitively that I actually like that movie, despite the fact that it has incredibly bad reviews because of exactly what it is. And mm -hmm. you could say the same thing about a person if you got to know them a little bit better. Um, and that I always like to think about why we shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Although this one is very nice. It, it's not scary. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like that one is simply not scary enough, right? Well, uh, I was going to say, I was watching the, uh, the part one of the documentary OJ series. The 30 for 30 is like a five-part, one-and-a-half-hour, five-part series. Uh, each one's like an hour and a half. Pretty interesting. Part one is all about his early life and everything that happened before any kind of crimin criminality. And uh, in it, 
one of his gro- friends growing up mentioned something that I remember very specifically that it was like striking to me at the time. It made me like feel something in the moment. He was mentioning how in his lifetime, and this is a man who this documentary was only made in 2016. So let's say he's eight years older now or something like that. Um, he looked like he was in his sixties. He said that the first time that he saw a man with his own skin color brushing his teeth on TV, that the, he saw it and called the entire family in to come see because it was so shocking that everyone had to see it immediately just to know that this was a thing. And I took away from that documentary many things, seeing it again freshly with eyes of 2022, but like, goddamn, if that wasn't like the most like viscerally striking thing where I was just so fucking blown away, like how sad that was. Cool country. Love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, not to go out on a, on, a, on a note that might come out of a newspaper. Um, is there anything else uh, you're thinking about, Kathy? Well, you think that uh, NASA rocket's ever going to go up? You think that no. they're going to suspend? I don't think it's ever going to go up. I think they're going to suspend. No, I mean, I think the, I mean things will go up. Things will go up. But like, I, I don't, don't know. think people will like, go to the moon, though. I don't think it'll happen. I think the whole think... thing is a show to make NASA I think look I... like something. Mm-hmm. And I also think like. Uh... I, I, it's funny, this came up in conversation with some of the housing organizers, because we were talking about the um, uh, uh, SpaceX areas in Texas, and I was mentioning the uh, Virgin Galactic areas down in Truth or Consequences and its impact on housing and people's access to yeah. it. We're kind of in this theoretical place, right? Um, thinking about what it might look like to work at these future company stores, essentially. We're, we're engaging yeah. in some kind of like sci-fi yeah. dystopian what-if conversation around the dinner table, right? And um, yeah, at some point, you know, we're kind of going around, hey, do you think this will ever actually happen? Like, do you think the billionaires will make it into space? And I'm like, you know, I think they they might. Let's pretend they do for a second let's really pretend that they do and even you know even taking the idea of the, there was like this i saw this article on twitter earlier talking about these billionaires who are preparing for the apocalypse by creating these like safe houses and things of that sort right um that's not the way that's gonna work yeah really i i mean i i think about like i mean i, I feel like the pandemic was enough to kind of show us right like um there is no existence without community. There just simply isn't, right? Like, um, at some point, right? Like, okay, so here's this one. Am I supposed to believe that Elon Musk is the one who's on this future rocket ship thing, like exploring this outside world? How many people are with him? How many people are there? How quickly can we get that technology to actually happen before civilization here actually collapses? Here's the other one. I know that on the International Space Station, every single one of those motherfuckers has to be well-trained in all kinds of different things, right? It's why they go up there. There is no way I believe that Elon Musk thinks he himself is the guy who's going to exit the convenient safety of his pod, space pod, again, assuming that's a convenient safety, and exit into the like harsh reality of outer space to tighten a fucking bolt. He'll have uh, to have a support be the staff, one does... and a support right. staff means. And guess what? That's right, and that's right, and and a support staff also means a much larger project than they could ever conceive of. Yeah. There is no manager in space, right? Yeah. Like 
that everyone up there is in a central part of that crew pitching together it's all part of a collective just why they'll never actually make it i've seen they alien think someone will be serving them yeah, yeah it's just not going to work and simply simply put technology is not there teslas are crashing into walls it's still taking me a million years to get i don't know a plumber out yeah. um, like kind of an appointment when it's actually kept we can't get our airlines running on time right like no that's not going to happen it's simply not it's because all of those people are going to need to rely on all of those other people and as we can see there's too many things that go wrong there's too many parts that can break yeah too many things that can simply go wrong so we're no in, i don't think they'll make it we're in the cyberpunk future where technology has plateaued and it, technology will increase for those with and technology will drop for those without and then somewhere in the middle will be consumer technology which will um be a service and pretty much sell everyone into some kind of uh situation they don't really know what they're in um i mean that's but they're but they're like so i i think like we either get focused on fixing this shit here now Mm. if they i mean they i kind of hope that they kind of go up into some fucking tin can and we get to you know wipe a little tear away as we watch a little satellite go by thinking about Leica, the poor dog you know i hope they go up there and never come back you know because that's also what i think will happen at some point this grid falls apart like even if you're self-sustaining that battery is gonna fail that grid is gonna fall apart there there won't be anyone running the show right if that's really what they think and if that's really what they think then they're gonna be that dude at the end of the fucking twilight zone episode time enough at last and not a thing you know and their glasses and no glasses to read yeah right or if you want the futurama version your eyeballs fall (laughs) perfect either way right yeah absolutely no i i am it's it's a if you'd like to see the perspective future of the reality that we just portrayed watch the show the 100 i loved it I thought it was fucking excellent. The most progressive show I've ever seen, other than maybe the uh, 3%. 3% is fucking incredible right out of Brazil. So goddamn good. There's never been a show brave enough to be that progressive, I don't think. It occurs to me it's that picture of Jeff Bezos writing Space Mountain all by himself. We already used that one. That's I love what it. it's going to be like. It is. No, yeah, it, that's no okay. What it's How be about like. this? Except it, it'll be in outer space. Yeah. And he's going to run out of water and it's going to be like, I guess drink your piss until you die, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Like, it, it turns out, um, it turns out the, the, the underwater utopia from Bioshock, uh, what was that place called? Sanctuary? Biodome. Bi- whatever it was called. Uh, some nautical reference, I'm sure. Uh, rapture that's what it was called the whole based on all the the ayn rand stuff like uh he was supposed to be like howard hughes slash ayn rand uh that's exactly what we're looking at we're looking at all the highest people in society they come and subtract themselves from our world and we're left with probably a much better place in our uh fantastical fiction that we've designed and in reality what will happen is uh something much worse i'm sure (laughs) oh kathy it's been uh, it's been a wonderful time. I, I got sure to. Uh, <laughs> is there anything else? We've like done to say? a lot, dude. No, I know. I'm just. Oh my god. Oh it's my been god. Two hours. You have. Well, I'm just saying. I have been processing a lot, so I feel like. No, I mean, I, I went to work earlier today for like okay. two hours, and I got home, and I was like, "Whoa, 
I felt like I had been there for a whole week, which I guess I have been. I mean, I've been pretty busy, but oof. So oof. What, what are we thinking about the music? Oh, that's great. That's a great question. I feel like we were kind of all over the place today. Mm-hmm. Um, Your mention of Laika kind of makes me want to use that intro song from Pete and Pete, the Polaris song. That's kind of mentioned. Okay, yeah, I'll, no, put, use, I'll that. use that as use the that. intro. What are we gonna use as the outro? Um. Oh. Um. There is a song dedicated to Laika in Spanish. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm totally gonna uh, link you. It is it is by a like um, a rock and español Mexican outfit um, in the '80s. They were like a pop band. Um, they would be like, um, if I said Banana Rama or if I said, uh, the Go-Go's. Okay. Uh, so Mecano was, a um, uh, like pop band and they wrote the song called Laika and I'm going to link it to you and that would be our outro. Sweet. Perfect. All right, everyone at home, we have completed another issue of Reality Issues. Um, I don't even know what, I think it's just 31. The last time I wrote one down in front of me was, no, it's 20, 20, I don't even know. Oh, I Googled it. I'm sorry. Mecano was from Spain, Spain. not from Mexico. I'll be sure to reflect this in the notes. Um, Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you everyone at home. The music is playing. This is technically an outro. You've listened this long. You'll listen to the rest. So thank you very and much. And keep watching the stars. Yes. Absolutely. Make sure that that NASA rocket takes off. And if it doesn't, you'll know why. It's something related to what I said. But not with not anything to do with me. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.
Yeah.